0: Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to go to the book of Psalm, uh, the Psalms, chapter sixty-two. <clears throat> and while you're getting there, while you're turning there, just a few, few things. Um, coming up March twentieth, uh, we're having a spring family revival. And this is going to be a great great time uh, for our church family and on your seat whenever you sat down or one of the seats close by you there was an invitation card there uh, that just talked about the spring revival that is coming and um, that date is March 20th and uh, it's a spring family revival the card looks like this Uh, we want to encourage you to invite some people to join you we're gonna have a great time The kids are going to be having their own service in the back uh, with a children's evangelist, Shelby Smith, who's going to be here from Columbus, Georgia, to be with us. She's phenomenal with children. And so they'll have their service, and then uh, parents and youth will be in here uh, having our service together, and I'm going to be preaching about the family to us, and we want to strengthen our families. Amen. Amen? And then after the service, we're going to have a good time of fellowship uh, the kids will be excited to know we're going to be having some bounce houses, and we're going to be having some food, and we're going to be having some uh, tents set up. We're just going to take over part of this parking lot uh, to have a good time, of fellowship together, spring revival. And uh, and I'm believing that God is going to use this event to introduce uh, some new people to this church and to his kingdom. Amen. We're going to reach for families. So invite some families to join you. If you've got extended loved ones that have come to branches before and they need to come back, invite them to come be a part of it. We're going to have a great time. Uh, So that is upcoming. Also, I'll just briefly touch on this real quick. Uh, Next Sunday, we're starting the First Steps Steps class of 2022. And uh, if you have not been through First Steps, You need to go through it, we want to get you involved, we want to get you connected. Uh, Or if you're new to Branches Church, you've only been here a little while, you just want to know more about uh, what we're we're all about, our culture, our vision for the church, Uh, that is the class to be a part of. It's only 45 minutes to an hour after service for three weeks in a row, and we have lunch together, we fellowship together, and we explore what God is doing at Branches Church. So, want to encourage that. You'll hear more about that uh, from Daryl whenever he dismisses us today and talks about um, talks about the the events that are coming up and makes some announcements. But if you're not part of it, come see me. I want you to be part of it. Plan on being part of it. So, Psalm chapter sixty-two. Um, I want to preach under this title today: He only, He only, and confidence in God, confidence in God. And so starting out today, I want to ask you a question, and I'm inviting you to answer this question. I know that's not normal in a church service to just holler out answers, but I am inviting you to holler out answers and say it loud because I'm up here and I may not hear you. Uh, But what are some things that prove to be beneficial to your life? Don't worry, there's no judgment, so whatever you think is beneficial to your life, it could be Chick-fil-A, and we're not going to judge that. (laughs) Coffee, I heard coffee. What are some things you think are beneficial to your life? Prayer. Prayer. What are some other things? Relationships are beneficial. Bible Bible reading, Bible study. What are some other things that help you in your life? Money, money helps. Nobody has ever said, you know what I need? I need less money. (laughs) That's, (laughs) I think there was a song at one point, More Money, More Problems. Uh, (laughs) I think somebody's rebuttal was, those are the kind of problems I want to try and have. Um, Anyway, if you don't know that song, don't go looking for it. Um, All right, so we we know some things that prove to be beneficial to our life, and some of those things are spiritual, some things are not spiritual. Now, what about let's let's change the perspective a little bit. What could you do without? What could you do without? What could you truly make it without? TV, television. Yeah, we could go without some entertainment. What are some other things? I'll tell you right now, I stress. I can do without some stress. What are some other things you could do without? Social media. We could all survive without social media. What are some other things you could do without? Pets. As much as we love them, we could do without pets and that 50 pound bag of feed that you have to buy every once in a while. yeah, so there are some things that we feel like we need that are beneficial to life, and there are some things that we could do without, uh, that we could live without. Many of us may be familiar with the life of David. How many of us are familiar with David, at least on a cursory level? What are some things and some people in David's life that proved to be beneficial to him? What are some things you think of? Some things from the story of David. The the maybe it was just Sunday school you heard it one time. The story of David. Goliath. Goliath, Goliath while was an enemy, and there's a beneficial story there around Goliath of some things that were beneficial to David. His praise and worship. His praise and worship he danced in the streets. Stones, five smooth stones. How many of us heard a sermon or a lesson taught on that? Five smooth stones. Jonathan, yeah, the value of friendship and a friend who would not turn his back on him. Very, very beneficial. Self-confidence and self-esteem can be healthy and good, but today I want to preach to you about uh, the excessive self-confidence that can be Harmful to our spiritual health, and that—that that self-confidence, that self-esteem, that becomes unhealthy or not good, that doesn't benefit us. It's usually characterized by a lack of prayer. Now, I'm not talking about people that are far from God, who don't trust God, don't want to be in a relationship with God. I'm talking about unhealthy self-confidence and self-esteem in God's people, God's people. It's usually characterized by a lack of prayer. Why? Because we're so busy working our plans. We're so busy following our instincts or we're so confident in all the work that we have in front of us, that we have planned out, that we never bother to look to the Lord in prayer. That's an unhealthy self-confidence. Right. It's not that we're going against God, it's, it's not that we're being rebellious. It's just that we don't have a sense that we really need Him. Right. Yeah. We've, we've met a certain level of spirituality and we're trusting God, but you know, some things I can do on my own. We don't really need Him, or that we really have to. Depend on Him. We think we can handle things even without bothering the Lord. Do it on our own. But the problem is this Jesus said in John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do Nothing. nothing." nothing. Now we apply that to spiritual fruit and we apply that to growth in God. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you can't do nothing. Look at somebody next to you and say, you can't do nothing. I know that's bad grammar. (laughs) You can't do nothing without the Lord. A person with excessive self-confidence doesn't really believe that last phrase. I may accept it intellectually, but I don't believe it experientially. Why, because I go on doing what I think I can do in my own self, I have become confident in self. David had some key people and some select things that played classic roles in his life, the stones, Goliath's sword, Jonathan, the sling, all of those things, lions, bears that he slew, being anointed king, He had these people that played roles in his life, his father Jesse and Samuel and Nathan and all of these different people that were involved in his life. But keep in mind, David was anointed as king. David, later in scripture, would be called a man after God's own heart But today in the text we're going to look at, David communicates something clearly to us that we must hold on to and for some of us must be discovered, rediscovered. For me at least, uh, and maybe I'm just preaching to myself today, but this is probably the great lesson for the moment of my life. And so I'm just inviting you to join me as maybe I preach to myself, but I highly doubt that I'm preaching only to myself. And so I want to preach he only, alone God. There is no other, just him. That's who we can depend on. That's who we should lean on. That's who we should trust in. There is no other thing. Forget about your education. Forget about what the world has taught you. Forget about what all of the systems of mankind are promoting. And rearrange in your mind and in your heart what you really can depend on. It is on God. He alone. So to begin, let me fill you in on the happenings are going on around this particular psalm, Psalm 62. David's great sin with Bathsheba was in the recent past. He had gone through a dreadful season because of his sin, a season of sickness. Some theologians believe he actually became a leper. The most feared and dreadful disease of David's day, possibly David had had a run-in with leprosy. He'd gone through this period of soul anguish where he had to get reconnected with God and come back to God. And, you know, ignored sins will do that. They'll, they'll drive you to a place of darkness where all your spiritual anchors are being drugged by the winds in life storms. That You feel like you're being pulled and tossed and the chaos and confusion of the moment and life, it's all because... Of ignored sin of not dealing with what God is wanting you to deal with in that moment and you're being tossed David has come through it all sin soul anguish struggle storms sickness he's repented and he's forgiven his sin is forever put away but forgiveness here's the thing about forgiveness and here's the thing about God forgiveness does not put away trouble from life, or from sin. Sometimes those things follow. With all that he faced, his sin, his sickness, his sorrow, David allowed the affairs of the kingdom, his kingdom, to drift, drift from his grasp. He, he allowed some things to get a little out of control. And in the middle of that being out of control, Absalom had been busy stealing the hearts of the people of Israel. For any who had a complaint, Absalom had an ear. And for any who would listen, Absalom had an answer, and it didn't include David. Conspiracy had grown stronger every day. It was growing stronger until it became a full-blown situation. Does anybody know what a full-blown situation is? Has anybody lived in a full-blown situation, endured a full-blown situation? situation. It is a full-blown situation. Absalom plots and schemes and lies and he's gathering support for his cause, his cause to remove David from the throne that he'd been anointed to sit upon. And so David, in that situation, he sits down to write Psalm 62. In verse 3 and 4 we can see the turmoil of what's going on with David. He says, how long Will you attack a man. You shall be slain, all of you. Now, how many has ever wanted to say or write that down? <laughs> you shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and tottering fence. There's some other things I think I could have come up with in that moment than like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. But that's what he wrote. He said, you shall be slain, all of you, Verse 4, they only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. And that word selah just means pause. Pause, consider this. It appears here that David is getting ready to take justice into his own hands. Absalom, you've been talking about the kingdom, you've been trying to dethrone me, you've been trying to do some things behind my back, and and I'm getting ready to do something. You shall be slain, all of you. But you know what David actually did? David actually runs from Absalom. David runs, he flees. And he even decrees that no harm should come to Absalom. And if you read the story, read the story. One does harm Absalom and one does suffer judgment at hand, the hands of David. But instead of doing what seems natural, what we often want to do, David instead turns to trusting God. Now, think about that. David is king, David is anointed king, he is powerful. There's no doubt that David has control and authority in this situation. There are a lot of resources at David's disposal. David could have made war with Absalom. Most people would have ignored if David had done anything. David probably could have constructed a plan to have his life taken, and people would have ignored it. They ignored his sin with Bathsheba. They ignored his having her husband put on the front line and murdered in war, David could have done a lot of things. After all, David is anointed king and Absalom is a usurper. But instead, David said, I'm gonna trust and wait on the Lord. Psalm 62, one through two, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And I want to talk to you about that word only, only. This is often called the only psalm because the Hebrew word that's translated as only for us, the word ak, it appears so often, six times, it appears in this very short Short, 12 verses of Psalm. Translated as truly in verse 1. It's then translated as only in verses 2, 4, and 6. And then it's translated as surely in verse 9. But what does that word only mean to you? When I say only, what do you think of? Maybe you're thinking if only I. If only I could, if only he would or she would, if only, if only. Can I say that word only the way David says it and mean it? He only. What about other good things? What about other things that look good, that appear good, that could be beneficial? What about position? What about prestige? What about friends? What about prosperity? What about all the things that we get accustomed to really leaning on and trusting in instead of saying He only? Could I do without them and could I trust only God? We don't like being told something is the only choice, we like options. We like opportunities. We like other things that can happen. If we can't make it happen, then maybe there's another option. That was the downfall of Henry Ford. Henry Ford, the Model A. He said they can have it any color they want as long as it's black. (laughs) And you know how all the other auto manufacturers got a stakehold in America? They started offering colors. And that's why they became popular, is because they offered colors on their automobiles. And that was it. That was the only thing that differentiated them. But David said, there are no choices. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Let's be clear about what David is communicating. He's saying, without him, I don't have a rock. I don't have foundation, I don't have stability, I don't have anything to stand on. If it's without him, there is no foundation. There's nothing else, only him. He was saying without him, I have no salvation. I'm unsaved, I can't be saved without him. It has to be through him. Without him, I have no defense. There's no protection. The enemy can do what they want to. My enemies can come against me because without him, there is no defense. Him only. Lloyd Ogilvie said he was backpacking in northern Canada that when he was out there, he became lost. And he went in circles for hours trying to find the logging road that he came in on, the way back to where his friends were camped at and in his search he came to a very narrow path there in the brush. It was overgrown, it had been traveled at some point but was overgrown now, used by trappers in the past and he followed that path until it came to a fork in the path. And there in the fork of the path staked out on one of the two paths was a real rough sign and on it a trapper, a well-known trapper of the area in Canada, that territory, he'd written instructions on it. In bold letters it said, "This is the only way out." This is the only way. And on the bottom, he put his name. "This is the don't take the other path. This path right here is the only way" Out. Well, let me put a sign up pointing you in the right direction today. He is the only way out. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. If it's without him, it's without anything. He is the only way out. It's that place of he only that God desires to bring us to. Not to... Not to depend on anything else, but he only. But here's the thing, to get to that place, a person has to have exhausted everything else. That's when people turn to God. It's whenever they've exhausted every other option. They've tried out everything else and nothing else has made a way. They stop depending on flesh. They stop depending on the world. They stop depending on friends and family and they say, I can only turn to God. Because that's what has to happen. One has to stop depending on the flesh. Stop depending on one's own ability, one's own strength. Stop depending on the wisdom of men and what seems right to the flesh. Stop depending on the power of humanity and answers being offered by the world. Turn to God. Let me ask you this way. Is Jesus a resource for you? A resource is something that's sought out and expended. Turn to him when I need something. It's a resource. Or is Jesus the source? Because the way you treat a source and the way you treat a resource are completely different things. Sometimes you need to tell yourself, I'm going to wait on God only. What I expect to happen must come from him. Create the climate with prayer. You create the climate with praise and you worship him. You stop trying to fix it and you say, I'm going to trust him. There's no plan B. There's no one else to turn to. God's will and God's way, that's the plan. That's the only plan. And wait upon the Lord. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. Don't take any action and the Lord will come through. It's Peter's response to the Lord when he asked him, are you too going to leave me? Are you leaving me, Peter? And Peter says, no, Who, who would we go to? No one else has the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? We don't have another option. You're the option. Paul put it like this, happy is the person who feels that all she has or all he wants and all that is expected are to be found in God. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere in all things that I learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound, to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be down as long as I'm down with Christ. I can abound as long as I'm abounding with Christ. I can be full as long as I am full in Christ. But if I'm going to be hungry, then let me be hungry in Christ. And if I'm going to suffer, then let me suffer in Christ. He alone is my strength. I'd rather be a pauper in the kingdom of God than a prince in the kingdom of the world. Because God is the only source. And faith is only as good as its object And that's what David reminds us of. David reminds himself and any other who would hear him where to put their faith. Psalm 62 and 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Look at somebody and say to them, trust him at all times, you. You say, you people. Trust him at all times. What does that mean? When you're high, when you're low, when any time that you find yourself in, you can trust him. You must trust him because David turns and begins to warn against trusting the wrong things. Psalm 62, 9 through 10, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. What's he saying? He's saying some people, they put their trust in men. Some people, they put their trust and faith in might. And some people put their faith in money. But you can't trust any of those things. Those things are all temporal. They will disappear. They have no foundation. They have no strength. They have nothing they can offer. They will pass away. But that's the danger. Right? Trusting in men, trusting in people, it's easy. The people who are being trapped into the trusting Absalom, they could look around and see all of the numbers of his supporters. Right, yeah. They could hear people talking about, Absalom's gonna be king. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is trusting the leaders that are pointing us this direction. That's what he says, he uses the word sons of Adam when he talks about uh, the men of low degree. It doesn't mean people who are of poor character, or poor morality, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is he's saying ordinary people. He's saying ordinary people in great numbers, they're not always right. They're not always right. You can't trust what the herd of people are doing. You can't trust what the rest of the world is doing. You have to trust God. And he says men of high degree, men of distinction, they're foolish men. They're foolish to trust them because what are they doing? They're lying for power and prestige and prosperity. And if you're putting trust in that, trusting the wrong thing, you have to trust God. Because when they're both weighed against God, they're lighter than a vapor. He literally uses the word breath. They're lighter than your breath. Because people will fail you. People will leave you. But God, He will never forsake you. David said, I'm going to trust God. Now, he could have turned to his supporters. He could have turned to his military. He could have turned to anything else, but he said, No, I'm not going to lean on a person. I'm not going to trust a man. Other people are doing that, but instead, I'm going to put my confidence in God. I'm going to trust God and see what God does in this situation. He said, Some trust in the might, some trust in oppression. Some trust in vain hope of robbery. What is that? You think about somebody who takes something by force. They're using their might. And some trust in the might of the world, but don't trust in oppression. Absalom thought that he would take the throne by force. That's what's being presented here. You have Absalom and you have David. Absalom thought he was going to do it by his own force, that he would rob David of the throne. But by contrast, David said, I cannot trust in might. I have an army, but I can't trust. In it. The only might I have faith in is the might of the Lord. He was going to trust in God. He was referring back to Psalm 20 and 7. I can imagine it in my mind. He's saying some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We're going to depend on God. All the powers found in this earth, they're going to fail. They're going to pass away, but there is a heavenly power, a power unto salvation, a power unto deliverance, a power unto strength, a power under refuge we're gonna trust in that power we're gonna trust in God we're gonna lean on God he even goes on it says if riches increase do not set your heart on them but some people are looking for riches of the world to save them that's a whole system of the world Capitalism, socialism, any of those isms. Money cannot save, and the riches of the world are temporary. Salvation is only in the Lord. So verse 5 through 7, he says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He says the same thing he said in verse 1 and 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. But look at the confidence that develops in David as he puts his attention on God. Because he starts out in verse 1 and 2 saying, I won't be greatly moved. I might get pushed around some. I might seem unstable. I might react a little bit to what's going on around me and in the world, but I'm not greatly gonna be moved. I might be moved a little bit, but it's it's not gonna be so great that people think, well, where's David going? What is David doing? No, I'm gonna trust in God. But as he continues to remind himself that other people are trusting in these other things and I'm trusting in God, maybe he started thinking about all the things that God had done in his life, all the things that he'd faced that God had brought him through. Maybe he started thinking about a lion and a bear that he that he defeated maybe he started thinking back to when he was a young man and he faced Goliath and God provided a way where there seemed to be no way to overcome such a great enemy God did that and he starts thinking about all the things that God can do and he reminds himself keeps saying it over and over, I'm going to trust in God, I'm going to rely on God, and he gets to saying it again, but this time he doesn't say, I'm going to greatly, not." I shall not greatly be moved, instead he says, I shall not be moved. Before, I was saying, well, you know, I might be unstable in this, but as he starts praising God and thinking about God and thinking about what God can do, he starts saying, you know what? I, I'm not going to trust the things that other people are trusting, but I'm going to lean on God, and because I'm leaning on God, I shall not be moved. Yes, Thank God. Two words change. David adds, alone when talking about God. At first, he says, I'm silently waiting on God. Then he changes it and he says, I'm waiting on God alone. Mm-hmm. Let me put emphasis on that. I'm not looking to anything else. I'm not seeing if God's going to use some measure of the world to make this happen. But instead, I'm going to look to God That's good. alone. That's good. Amen. And then he says, I shall not be greatly moved. And he changes that. I shall not be moved. Let others trust And what seems wise to the world, what seems wise to men, what seems to be powerful in the world and mighty in the world, and let others trust in the riches of the world and the money of the world. But I am going to trust in the Lord. Getting ready to end. You know, it's interesting. You read the first few books of the Bible, specifically the first book of the Bible, Genesis First portion of Genesis, it moves pretty quickly through creation to humanity's separation and uh, Noah and, and the judgment of the world and then starting again fresh. And then after Noah, it moves to the Tower of Babel. It's interesting in that progression of all those things that when others were attempting to build a permanent city and tower, the Tower of Babel, and their plan was, we'll, we'll build this to the heavens. We'll make a great city. We'll make a great tower. But they left out God. We'll get to heaven. But we'll do it in our own ability. We'll build a great city, a monument to humanity. God comes down and he judges them. And The very next chapter, the very next biblical story is a story of God convincing just one man to leave his city and to live in tents, to leave the thing that was permanent and to live in something that was temporary, to give up on trusting what others were building, and lean on God alone. In the entire life of Abraham, the only permanent structure he built were altars. Everything else was temporary. Abraham abandoned the permanence of a city for a temporary nature of a tent to build permanent things for God. Think about that for just a moment. We want to lean and trust on the things in this world. We look toward the things in this world. But the real question is, what are you building? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in God alone? Are you trying to include God in with all of the other stuff? Well, listen, I'll just add God to this. You know what that is? That's pantheist thought, is what that is. Because the pantheon believers, Hindu, they find another God, they just say, Well, I'll add this to my other gods. Instead of saying, This one is the true God. We may not be pantheist in the way that we worship God, but sometimes we can be pantheists in the way that we draw things into our life and say, you know what, I've got a good career, I've, I've got all of this prestige and this power and this position and I've got all of these things, now I'm just gonna add God into that. God doesn't want your permanent structure of the world. That's not what God's interested in. God wants you to lean on him and trust in him. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's wrong to have any of those things, but I am saying whenever it starts to take preeminence in your life and it becomes the thing that drives your decisions and drives the way you conduct yourself, then it serves God. Then it comes into the place where God should be on the throne in your life because you're not trusting God anymore. You're trusting all the other things that everyone else is trusting. But David tries to remind us he only. I'm going to trust he only. I'm going to trust him only. I'm going to trust God alone. No other salvation, no other foundation, no other provision, no other way out, no other way forward. God's will and God's will alone. If you'll stand with me. God bring us to a place of remembrance.